Andy, hi, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Nice to see you. Yeah, you too. You too. Mm -hmm. So thanks for coming on. Where, where are you uh, winging in from? Uh, all the way from uh, very rainy Cardiff, uh, as I speak. Yeah, I mean, we've had a wonderful September, but today uh, the heavens have opened. And uh, yeah, sod's law, I've got to go out in it tonight. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Cardiff City, West Brom. So, um, but yeah, it's so probably the uh, most wet day we've had for a while, actually. Well, I guess you kind of need that for the beauty and the greenness of where you are, but then you've got to endure it as well. Indeed. Yeah. But it adds to the balance. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. So, um, so again, thanks for coming on. And I heard you chatting um, on with... Uh, Glenn and Seb and was fascinated so I, I've kind of quicked you over here to have a have a chat about that and, and what you're up to but the, and, and obviously we both know um, Steve Rolnick as well uh, so there was this this sort of connection um, how did you get into the to the motivational interviewing side of things well it, it's an interesting story in a way um, uh, a friend of mine who is a therapist said uh, knew of the work I was doing in schools around um, learning and behavior development and she said oh you know have you heard of Steve Rolnick and I hadn't so I went to work, I went along to one of his conferences in Cardiff and it was a two-day introductory workshop to motivational interviewing. And I was blown away by the connections uh, between the skills and the processes behind MI and what makes for good teaching and learning. And the thing that I, that I couldn't get my head around was the fact that I would, was the only teacher that had been on one of Steve's workshops in Cardiff. So Steve, was saying this to me and I said, crikey, you know, there's so much overlap here between uh, developing the motivation for learning and, um, uh, you know, lighting the fires of passion within the learning process. And he said, yeah, and, and uh, I'd be delighted to go on part of that journey with you. So um, he came to the school and uh, spoke to some of the students, spoke to the staff, and learned a little bit about the culture we were trying to create at the school. Um, and yeah, we hit it off and, and, it, and eventually led to, to his book, MI for Schools. Right, okay. And what, what position did you hold in that school at the time? I was deputy head in charge of uh, relationships and well-being. And um, 16 years I was at the school. And in that time, my, <clears throat> my uh, work was very much focused on um, changing mindsets around behavior management, behavior development. Um, so, you know, moving away from an over-reliance on punishment and reward to uh, change young people's behavior to a far more intrinsic, um, more restorative way of changing behaviors for the long term. Because what, what research was telling us 
uh, as teachers over the last 30 to 40 years, our understanding of how young people learn has been revolutionized by scanning of the brain, fMRI scans, uh, and, you know, listening to learners. We know now so much more than we did um, uh, 40, 50 years ago. And yet what was really bizarre in my mind was that behavior and the behavior management process in school was still 50 years out of date. So they were very much based on the old style operant conditioning, um, Skinnerian behaviorism. Uh, and they paid, and it paid no attention whatsoever to the advances in neuroscience around learning. And yet behavior is learned. Yeah. So it just seemed that, 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 that behavior management was out of step with the wonderful advancement um, in the way that we facilitate uh, learning in the classroom. So Steve was interested in that and clearly um, aspects of his work in clinical psychology uh, lent itself to um, exploring that journey. So yeah, I was deputy head for 16 years at the school, developing a model which was far more intrinsic motivation for change than uh, over-reliance on punishment and reward. Yeah. So you were saying that the teachers were able to create these these better and better learning environments based on new knowledge, but yet the way they were dealing with, or the way schools or institutions were dealing with kids that had behavioural issues was, was, was way behind. Yes, it was, and it wasn't needs-led. So uh, it was very much one size fits all. It was, you know, um, these are the rules of the school, and this is what happens to you if you don't abide by the rules of the school. And it paid no attention whatsoever to uh, the complexity of humanity, the complexity of children growing up, uh, the understanding that school is where you learn to get it right, uh, where the understanding around behavioral mistakes uh, can actually be seen the same way as a mistake you make in your essay or your, um, your, your learning of German. Now, some people pick up German much quicker than others. And the same is true of behavior. You know, we, you know the learning appropriate behaviors in different situations is a skill. And uh, some people, because of their profile, their psychological profile, their social profile and background, uh, will find that more difficult than others. Um, and yet we had this one size fits all punishment and reward system, um, which actually um, was not needs led. And when you really drill down into it, was not values based either. Uh, and so... Yeah, it, it, it was trying to support the teachers in seeing behavior differently um, and seeing it as very much part of their role as teachers, that we, we include behavior development in our planning, in our assessing and in our evaluation of our work um, as teachers uh, in the classroom. Mm. Is, is that part of teacher training now or has it ever been part of teacher training to to prepare for 
for these situations, so not just standing at the front of the classroom or, or engaging kids or creating the environment, but, but actually for people, focusing on individual people and, and helping them in all these different ways. It's funny, you know, I ask when I lead workshops with teachers how many of the new staff coming into the profession, as well as those who've been teaching for a while, how many of you have had formal training in conflict resolution and not one hand comes up? So, you know, there, there's, and I say, well, what percentage of your day would you say you were dealing with conflict? An inevitable part of humanity is conflict. So how much of the day? Now, for some of them, it was 80% of their day. And yet, and yet effective needs-led conflict resolution is not something that's part of teacher training. Um, and I don't think, I may be wrong here, and I may be, being, I may be doing a disservice, um, but I, I don't think there's that much emphasis in teacher training on teaching pro-social skills and teaching for relationships, uh, including relationship with self. I think it, you know, and I don't think that, I think that's partly cultural um, because education has become uh, over-focused on uh, credentials and academic outcomes and, you know, measurements. Um, and so I think that's partly to, you know, the, the, the cultural milieu of the day. Uh, we've got this overemphasis on um, schools as businesses or exam factories. Yeah, that, I mean, I've got kids at school that, that's, and I've been to school, so that's, that's my only, only experience in a, in a sense. But it, it feels like it's the same um, as in getting kids through this conveyor belt, uh, this age to that age, out the other side um with with a set of figures or net or well they weren't um, letters now they're figures aren't they and, and yeah. that's kind of it not 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 a great focus on on the person i mean better and some schools clearly do a lot of work they probably tend to be the more private schools i would imagine uh, mm -hmm. what's your experience of that well there's there's this there's this emphasis on the solo self in education where it's a competition between you and everybody else. And in order for you to succeed, you've got to do better than other people. And if you're not part of that game, well, then that's your fault in a way. It's because you're not putting in as much effort or you don't have uh, the abilities that other people do. And that, of course, disenfranchises so many people and turn so many learners off from what I would call real learning, which is authentic and genuine and, and a passion-inspired um, learning. <clears throat> it's just become a competition for credentials. And um, we're, we're sort of drilling into children that you know, you've, got, you've got to be better than the person next to you in order to be happy in life. And the reality is, of course, that that is no guarantee of happiness. Um, and in many cases, it's the opposite. Yeah. So it sounds then like, you know, in, in some schools that might have, you know, more of an emphasis on, on some well-being and, and how to look after yourself, those kinds of things. But yet still with this, 
this I've got to be the winner. I'm, you know, this is competitive at every level. It's, it's, it's never going to work, is it? Because it's, it's almost like you're doffing the hat to saying, well, yeah, we've got some well-being going here, but meanwhile, we're still going to drill into you guys that, that you know, the, uh, you've got to get your A grades or, or, or basically mm. you're no good. Mm. And, and there's a real need from my perspective in schools for um, young people to feel accepted and um, a sense of belonging. And um, I think that that is a, that's a chronic condition that we're, we're, we're lacking in schools, that sense of uh, it's okay to be who I am, to be acceptable as I am, mm. um, and that I belong as part of an integrated community um, of learners um, and whatever learning means to me. Um, so it, it, creates, it creates real unhappiness and a sense of disconnection, uh, disjointedness in young people when they don't feel that they belong or they don't feel that they're acceptable. Yeah. You know that when you were saying that, and you brought up the you used the word you know acceptance and being accepted, I, I got a I got a deep feeling inside me around that, and the fact that you know you're only going to be accepted in this school if you follow. Going back to what you were saying before, these these are our rules. This is our mantra. This is our logo. You live by that, then you're accepted, and if you don't, you're, you're cast to one side. I mean, that brings up a really horrible feeling in me. And so many young people will be on the receiving end of that sense of, of lack of acceptance. Um, but it's a real, it's, it's, um, it, it's heart sinking stuff in schools. Yeah. Um, um, you know, when the balance is, when the balance is too much favored on um, academic outcomes, many, many young people are left out. Uh, and I th and that's what's been happening in schools over the last ten years. Yeah. Um, sorry, you're picking up some noise. Yeah, that's okay. It's all part of it. Part of the the fireside chat. We've had neighbours. Ah, right. We've had animals. We've had all sorts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so that's 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 been my worry. And thankfully, in Wales, to a certain extent, the new curriculum has thought about how we can say to teachers, you know, what is it, what is your vision for the curriculum in your area? So they're sort of less shackled by this one size fits all prescribed national curriculum, which just told teachers what to teach, when to teach and how to teach. And so made them almost robotic uh, where they didn't really need to bring their brains to work anymore. They were just told what to do, when to do it. Now I think we're reassessing that in Wales. How it will go, I don't know, because it very much depends how it's communicated. Um, but you know, there's hope, um, and I'm and I'm kind of helping some schools on that journey to encouraging young people, parents, teachers, school leaders to work together to say, you know, what's important here for us? And COVID, you know, with with all the awfulness of COVID, it's given us opportunity as well to renew our, our vows as educational leaders and say, you know, let's go back to what's important. And that is 
that we have this interconnection with one another and our world. And that, that in essence, is what brings well-being. Integration brings well-being. Um, not competition for how many credentials you can get at the end of the day. Although qualifications are important, of course, um, it's more it's more this sense of community and interconnection, which I think brings happiness in the long term. Yeah, it it kind of feels from you know your description there that it's it's embracing all and and helping each individual to to essentially as, as to emerge from this community with with their you know with their own strengths so some will achieve you know a's and all the rest of it and they'll go on and do a you know various things and then other people achieve other things but for them that's great and they'll go off and do that and that will be their strength that's playing through definitely definitely there are alternative goals uh and um and they're as important um, but well-being, I think this pandemic of, of, has really highlighted our, our need for a sense of uh, understanding how reliant we are on others um, and, and our fragility as a, as, a, as a species has been brought to the fore. And you'd hope that it nudges us in the right direction to see... Um, the importance of relationships yeah. uh, in education. Before going more into your, your work, I just sense there's a deep philosophy behind this stuff that you're, you're talking about. Where, where have your influences come from? Who, who, who inspires you? Well, um, two people in particular. Um, there's a lady called uh, Belinda Hopkins, who wrote some years ago a book called Just Schools. And um, uh, what Belinda has done is she's taken um, the principles behind restorative justice and applied them to a school setting. And her work, I aligned with Belinda and we worked closely together more recently, but her work um, highlights five core principles um, to be used in school settings. And principle number one is that everybody has a voice and they need to feel heard. And what are all of the things that brings in a school organization? Secondly, that our thoughts are connected to our feelings, which are connected to the way we behave. Uh, so basic clinic basics cognitive psychology really so thoughts feelings behavior are connected uh, thirdly that whatever we do and whatever we say it has an impact it has a ripple effect and that's what's really uh, important for us to explore when um, when in learning but also in behavior management fourthly that we have needs that connect us to people and purpose. And fifthly, that actually it's the people within the organization which have the solutions for taking that organization forward. So it's less top-down as a model. And I took some of those principles and I applied it to the learning processes. So I asked the teachers in, you know, in, in the school I was at, there were 148 members of staff. 
Wow. And I asked how often across this school are young people asked their opinion, their perspective, and they're listened to in front of their peers. How often do we explore their thoughts and their feelings? So is the language of the affective commonplace in this organization? Do we explore ripple effects, novels, poetry, uh, scientific experiments, and so on? And are young people able to, with confidence, say what they need in order to work at their best here? Um, and are they given the opportunities to lead the learning? So each one of those five principles you can see quite um, clearly linked to good teaching and learning. And that was the part that I, I developed in school, taking those principles from uh, Belinda. Um, in conflict resolution, and this is the key for me, um, conflict will happen. Um, and when it happens, you can either see it as a threat or you can see it as an opportunity for learning in a school context. So, you know, asking some questions about what, what happened, what were you thinking, how are you feeling, who's been affected, how, what do you need in order to repair the harm? All of those questions support what's been going on in the classroom. So behaviour is just behaviour management is an extension of good teaching and learning in the classroom. So you don't disaggregate behaviour from learning. Yeah. Now that has implications for school systems and school structures. So, you, you know, the old style, old pastoral heads, um, in my experience, were uh, people who had uh, good relationships with children. And, they, and so um, if there was a behavioral difficulty in a classroom, they'd be sent to that pastoral head um, <laughs> who already had the good relationship. And it would kind of, you know, it, it just it didn't it didn't solve the problem. It removed the problem and uh, it wasn't particularly dealt with. And it didn't um, it didn't develop competence and confidence at the point of delivery in the classroom. So those structures needed to change as well as uh, systems which were clearly not needs led. So uh, merit systems where, you know, was completely arbitrary merit systems where, you know, some teachers gave thousands of merits a week and other teachers wouldn't give one. Uh, and, you know, you, you think of that, the dangers that that creates in terms of uh, teaching children to manipulate um, power in order to achieve what they want. And so, you know, removing those one-size-fits-all systems so that they were more needs-led, more sophisticated, and more in step with our understanding of how uh, the neuroscience of young people's brain developed. Yeah. All of that was happening in the mix. It was quite a large piece of work. Mm. And then you add in Steve Rolnick's work um, around, you know, having conversations which are motivational um, and the skills of uh, you know, that, that the, the, the open question, the affirmation, the reflection and the summaries, which again aligns itself beautifully to good teaching and learning. So, you know, affirming through marking, marking exercise books, you don't need a whole page of red pen 
full of praise and platitude, uh, which actually doesn't develop a young person that much. You need a couple of lines which is affirming and which points out how that young person might develop. Um, so, you know, those two people in particular, there's one more I could mention, and that's um, uh, Margaret Wheatley, who, uh, whose book Leadership and the New Science, um, for me, was groundbreaking mm -hmm. because even at a quantum level, she was identifying relationships of the key determiner of change. So even in quantum physics now, we're realizing this. So if we're realizing it within quantum physics, why aren't we seeing that um, as the truth that it is uh, across uh, wider organizations and our relationship with uh, the environment? Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. Do you, was this always your kind of natural leaning, your natural way, or were you sort of trained let's say in the old way, and then suddenly had a, hold on a minute, this doesn't work, we need something better than that. <laughs> yeah, well, I was excluded from school. <laughs> so, yeah, and, um, and there, were, there were many different reasons. I, I um, you know, uh, yeah, my world was turned upside down. My father disappeared when I was 11, and I struggled uh, with sexuality and... Uh, and, and nobody, lots of people ask me, what's wrong with you? But nobody ever asked me, you know, what's happening for you? Mm. you know, in, a, in a genuine, authentic, um, curious way where they wanted to be a guide for me and to support me. And I didn't want sympathy. Um, but, you know, people just said, what's wrong with you? In a very judgmental uh, flippant and often sarcastic way, as if I was going to be able to tell them what was wrong with me at the age of 11. And, you know. So I, I, I guess at, in the school I was at, it was an exam factory and the other stuff which made you you wasn't that important. So I disconnected to that and uh, my behaviour led to me being excluded. But then you've pulled it around remarkably. But I guess those early experiences are kind of informing how you do things. You see the important stuff. You see the need. Yes, that's that for me is absolutely essential, is trying to really come, really support a young person in meeting their need so that the behaviours change for the long term. And learning can do that. Because there is a therapeutic nature to learn, um, which I know a lot of uh, some educators and researchers um, dismiss. Um, but for me, there's, it's absolutely essential that we don't divorce the emotional, affective, therapeutic aspect of learning uh, from the cognitive, objective, prescriptive scientific aspect of learning i think the two come together beautifully um, and they can be hugely therapeutic particularly post-covid when children are going back into school um, for many they need the routine and rigor of school um, and and for many um, their resilience and their coping will be developed through good learning 
and the well-being comes in the slipstream of the good learning. And I think that's absolutely essential. Yeah, there's, you know, the opportunities for, you know, getting on a route of mastery, um, understanding what mastery is, um, you know, the concepts of the beginner's mind and, and continuous mm. improvement, those kinds of things can be brought in easily, I would imagine, without any complicated language, just through the right kind of encouragement. Yes. But I also think there's this relationship with self that needs exploring through learning. And whether you call it mindfulness or mind training or whatever, you, whatever word you want to use, um, I think it's untapped um, as a resource that builds uh, resilience and uh, responsibility for self. Uh, I think that 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 in, is a really important part of um, supporting young people in understanding themselves, their thoughts, their feelings, but also their relationship with change mm. uh, and get, and coming to grips with change um, and it's and the inevitability of change. It, it's yeah. It seems that um, people. I mean, I, I don't want to specify certain ages. Um, but but the sort of younger generations seem um, like they, they really need this, this certainty and then struggle with the fact that life is absolutely full of uncertainty. Oh, definitely. But, but then we kind of see objects as solid forms, don't we? And we, it, it's, um, it, we very rarely explore them as fluid energies that um, allow us to dance through life in a very different way to the kind of individualism that um, is being promoted um, yeah, politically, socially, educationally um, <clears throat> in, in life as it is. And it's a sort of a grasping for things to make you happy. Yeah. And um, that grasping, that um, wanting more, um, is creating the real unhappiness from my perspective in, in young people um, because it's contingent upon so many things. So I, I'm happy if I've got a good relationship. I'm happy if I've got the right TV or I've got the right. And actually there is a happiness that I, that, that I think comes in learning, which is not contingent upon anything, but on our, your understanding of yourself um, as, a, as a person of true compassion and wisdom that isn't contingent upon other people's perceptions or things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hear, I hear what you're saying, and and I, I know that um, from a little bit of the spiel on the on on Glenn's pod around your practice, um, Zen Buddhism, and and so I'm hearing those things coming through, and I would say I, I see huge value in, in those philosophies um, and practice certain things myself. So I can appreciate that. How, how much of that kind of comes through or how much of that do you let through in your, in your work? Well, it's interesting. Um, um, the, the work I do in, in two schools particularly, I offer the teachers um, uh, an eight-week Zen-based mindfulness course um 
Now, it, it, it can be difficult to divorce mindfulness from its ethical roots. Uh, and there are, there are dangers, actually, in, in taking mindfulness away from its ethical roots, in that it becomes just a, an, um, a way of getting people to accept the conditions of life for what they are and not challenge them. So um, for me, uh, the Zen route is to allow teachers to build resilience and resourcefulness, but also to challenge social conditions and be social reformers. Um, and so the teachers are, are, and many of them really enjoyed the course and they found it really helpful during COVID. Um, so it's, it's kind of stress relief, it's building resilience, but it's also bringing them alive to the importance of learning in life and the, the work they do with their children. And for many, it's, it's reminded them of why they went into teaching in the first place, because that passion uh, for getting the best out of the young people they work with uh, has been lost through policy, uh, prescribed assessments, through um, uh, over-prescribed national curricula, all of those things have really lost the passion of te for teachers. So, uh, and uh, um, yeah, and if you're going to ask people about seeing a different mindset around behaviors, then you have to start working with the mind. Um, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, but there are, there, are other, there are other very good mindfulness courses that are not Zen-based. But for me, uh, my training is in Zen practice, so I can only offer the Zen-based mindfulness. Yeah, but you're, I mean, you're organically then, those people are reconnecting with their purpose. Yeah, yeah, and bringing them alive. And I think some of Steve's work would, would agree, you know, when he, when, when you sit with somebody in the spirit of MI, um, there, there's no agenda, you know, you're, you're just somebody who's a compassionate, um, curious, supportive guide for that person, just coming alongside and through open question and reflection, empathic listening, actually you, 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 you can remind people of um, their purpose and their passions in life. And uh, I think that's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Totally agree. Mm -hmm. Well, how, how do you position yourself? How, what do you, when, so what do you do? How, how do you answer that question? Now? Um, yeah, you, uh, I, title or, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, 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 when I first, towards the end of my time in the school, I was, um, asked by um, a few local authorities, a football club, championship football club, and a few other uh, organizations, if I may work with them to build relationships within those organizations. So I, I was trying to do that on weekends and half terms and holidays, and it didn't work for me. So I left the, my teaching in 2018. And I toyed with this idea of consultancy, and I, 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 for some reason, I'm not keen on the word. Um, and it's not really what I do. I, I don't. I work alongside, so I'm, I'm a mentor and a guide for school leaders, 
uh, leaders in organizations who want to develop um, high quality relationships within their, within their businesses, within their schools. And that, that's it really. That's, <laughs> that's it. But it's, that's, I mean, that's it's, it. it's so important. I mean, it's, it's yeah. huge, isn't it? It's huge. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to me, it just seems like the way, but, but inevitably there's resistance. Uh, how do you deal with resistance? Uh, I think if you read Steve's work, I think it's rolling with resistance <laughs> yeah. is the best way to put it, isn't it? I mean, I, you know, there's, there was a time when I, it, it got me angry and it, it, it depleted my energy. But actually seeing, seeing it for what it is, and again, this is where my practice helps, is that, you know, acceptance and awareness. And that doesn't mean accepting it as a doormat might accept inequalities um, or discrimination, but actually um, seeing it clearly for what it is, what that resistance is and where that resistance is coming from enables you to um, see a way out of it and support others in, um, in working with that resistance in order to achieve better outcomes. Yeah, yeah. So, so in a sense, then you're using that you're using that resistance or those obstacles then as, as opportunities. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, Andy, I know that you've got an engagement with a, with a football club in the rain. Um, <laughs> there's so much more I'd love to know. Maybe we'll have to have a part two, if you'd be willing to, uh, to come back. Of course. It's, it's such an important subject, you know, education and la laying the, foundations for someone's future um yes. i find myself getting more and more passionate about it and wanting to hear um so um yeah, i'll watch your work with interest and, and would love to have more chats but where, where can people find you and your about your work sure um i have a, an email uh and the email address is connect andy zero zero at gmail.com um and that's that's how people connect with me. Actually, I don't have a website. Um, I um, yeah. I, if I put a website out, I may not be able to meet the demand. There's quite already quite a bit, bit of demand, so just uh, people can people can uh, contact me via the email. Okay. Okay. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, listen, thanks. Thanks again for your time. Um, and um, well, I hope you get a result tonight. <laughs> Thank you, Richmond. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye.